Welcome to Stall Warning, a show talking all things lacrosse. I'm your host, Ponchito Ojeda. And joining me today is 101 Lacrosse Northern California Director, John Murray, and Universal Lacrosse Store and Events Manager, Mike Murray. Fellas, how are we doing? Doing good. A little bummed uh, having a Memorial Day weekend without lacrosse uh, on top of a giant heat wave up here in Northern California, but hanging in there. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i doing really good. I got to go to the beach for the first time on Memorial Day weekend in years because I'm usually at the Final Four. So, got to say, coming off a good high, it was just in Ocean City, Maryland. It was a good time, even though uh, not too much sun by the beach over there. Still good to just get a different scenery. Yeah, I bet. I bet it was nice to, to get out of Dodge a little bit. I think everyone's itching to get out. Uh, I'm with you, John. I was super bummed to not watch lacrosse. I couldn't bring myself to turn on any lacrosse, actually, because I was just like, uh, it's not real. I've already seen all these. Uh, but that's okay. I, I, I'll watch them on my bike here over the next few few days and weeks. Um, how's everybody holding up? Are you guys like just, just itching to go outside and like do anything? Yeah, I'm definitely itching. We drove um, out to Jenner. Uh, for the first time, saw the end of the Russian River. It's really beautiful out there. We saw um, stopped on the ledge, socially distanced, was super responsible about it, um, and watched some seals lounge on the beach for like 30, 40 minutes before driving back. So it was a nice, nice little getaway. Definitely looking forward to getting out of Napa a little more. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm shooting tomorrow. I'm going out and I'm shooting tomorrow. I, uh, been seeing a lot more nets coming up, a lot more, a lot more nets with backup nets, you know, the good fields. So, you know, going out and uh, be getting a lot of calls from people for rebounders. So, you know, I could tell parents are itching to get their kids outside. Yeah. So that's, that's cool. yeah, I would, I would do anything to get out and just be on a field with uh, some, some guys playing some lacrosse. Um, but uh, in this in this short time, I was I went for a run the other day, and I saw this young man. He wasn't outside shooting, or or it could be a young lady as well. But the setup they had in their in their front yard, nonetheless, like right in the front yard, they got this goal, full size goal out there, and they had this uh, backup net that they could put up and down for it. And I was just amazed that their parents let them put it up because I was like, this is literally taking up your whole front yard. It's like right in front of your door. And I was like, that's a commitment to lacrosse, like I've never seen. Love it. So. Um, fellas, well, let's, let's talk about the news. Uh, we'll talk about some kind of, uh, boring news, but important. If you haven't seen it on inside they posted a link to the latest on, uh, youth sports and what the CDC is recommending in terms of return to play. Youth lacrosse is scheduled to release their white paper on what they're expecting from a return to play option as well. If you have not looked at that stuff as a parent, as a player, as a coach, you should look at it. It's got lots of good information in it. It's important that you are informed uh, about what your options are for the rest of the summer. I know John and I, uh, running events for 101 Lacrosse and our teams, were pretty deep in that information, but uh, make sure you take a look at it yourselves. Um, but in other news that's much more exciting and you know was broken this morning by Ty Sanders, uh, Connor Kirst. We already knew he was coming back for his fifth year. We thought it was at Villanova, but it turns out he is going to Rutgers. Uh, does this make the Scarlet Knights a contender right away, John? Uh, I don't know if it makes him a contender. They uh, 
they have a lot of holes to fill. Um, and Big Ten being one of the toughest lacrosse conferences, but having one of the best five to ten midfielders in the country definitely helps. Yeah, he's, you know, he is a force everywhere on the field. Like, this guy's a PLL midfielder for sure. Um, and a- adding him, I think, brings him up to at least, you know, competing for Big Ten championship for sure. But um, that's kind of what it takes for Rutgers to get into the tournament. So I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, it takes them up there. I love that you just completely disregarded the MLL's existence by just assuming that he'll be a PLL guy. Um <laughs> Which is totally fine by me, uh, but the uh, I, I agree. I think Connor Curse is big. I mean, a first line dodging midfielder is uh, game changing, and the his brother Colin, who's the goalie coming in, is huge because they lost uh, Max Edelman last year, who was a stud um, and really held them in a lot of games. So that's a big addition for those guys. Um, you know, Coach Brecht is is one of the best. I'm a big fan uh, of him. You know. You said Rutgers competing for a Big Ten championship. Do you see them finishing ahead or behind Hopkins? Man, this is that's a, that's a tough yeah. one. You know, it's going to be such a different atmosphere out there. It's like all these different teams, different guys. You know, switching around. You never see that. We always imagined it. Like when I was a kid, you know, it was like, oh, come on, like can't they just transfer around? Like, oh, they don't really do that. And it's kind of like fantasy league right now. It's really cool. So, I. Um, John, take this one, man. Yeah. I mean, it'd, it'd be big um, for New Jersey, uh, getting the homegrown guys back um, to the um, state college is, is really big. I know a lot of people are going to be pumped to have the Curse Boys back um, in New Jersey. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I, I think they can definitely pull an upset or two and finish on top of Hopkins. Yeah, I mean, obviously Maryland's probably the favorite in the Big Ten, and then Ohio State. You know, who knows what to place them because they got Curse on just left. Uh, so you know that's a big loss. Penn but State. Then, yeah, then you got Penn State. So I mean, Ohio, uh, Penn State and Maryland probably one two, but then the next the next four, it's been a bit of a you know toss up, and I feel like uh, like this is a big move for Rutgers. Um, I actually think Hopkins is probably going to be finishing the top three, to be honest with you. I think they got the right guys, but I think Rutgers also makes it. I think Ohio State's the odd man out, uh, you know, just on paper, but obviously we'll see what happens this fall and spring. Um, any other thoughts on the Rutgers edition? No, or just well, pumped. pumped. Yeah, I mean, definitely pumped, but um, I think it's real special because, you know, Colin, like I, I knew Colin because he went to Seton Hall Prep and I was a senior when he was just an incoming freshman. And the kid is an absolute stud if you just put him in that. Like he he, he sat for three years at Lehigh, two. getting here uh, and there, Lehigh. two years. Yeah. Um, and I just think, man, you throw him out there, you know, a defense to get behind that guy is, it's like, it comes, it comes with it. He just commands defenses like that. Uh, he's got such a great personality. He's the nicest kid on earth. And I'm real excited because, you know, he's not going to Rutgers to sit. He's obviously going. He knows Connor's going. They, they've been talking with the coach. You know, they have a history with their father there. And I think he's going to be out there with them, and it's going to be exciting to see. Yeah, I think it's going to be I think it'll be exciting as well. So I'm pumped to see those uh, boys back in Jersey. 
Uh, in other news, we saw that Amherst has shored up their coaching situation with the hiring of Rashad DeVoe, uh, formerly the head coach at Hampton University in Virginia and a formal assistant at Colby. So he has some NESCAC ties. Uh, thoughts on this hiring? I think it's a good hire. Um, he definitely has his work cut out for him with everything that's going on at Hamhurst off the field, um, on the field, you know, it's, um, it's a great job to have. Amherst was one year removed from reaching the national championship, but, uh, with the locker room environment, like the cultural environment, um, with everything I've heard that's going on at Amherst, it's, uh, it's a lot of work ahead, but it looks like they found the right guy for the job. Yeah, I'm just I'm just psyched, you know, the um, he's stepping up to, you know, like Nescak and he's the head coach. I like, you know, coaching stories like that. I know he did a lot at the club level and uh you know, it's uh I think it's it, it's cool to see and like you said, poses a big challenge, so Yeah, I'm excited for. It. I think R- Rashad Devo is going to be uh great at ha- at uh in Amherst. Uh I will say though, I I am incredibly bummed that he's leaving Hampton so soon. You know, I, I, uh, I mean, I respect it. I'm a coach. I get it. You know, you got to do what's best for your family and Amherst is a tough opportunity to turn down, but you know, I was excited to see him at Hampton. I thought he was going to get that program going, get them really move in the right direction. And yeah, it's, it's tough to lose a coach of his caliber, you know, from a place like that. So, uh, Hampton's got their work cut out for him. Any, any ideas on, uh, who might be the, the next in line for the Hampton job. No idea. I'm terrible with these next in line for coaching job questions. Yeah. Uh, I, I think Rick Soul's got to be on the short list. I mean, hopefully he is anyways, because he did a great job at Navy and I think he'd be good at good hire there. So if he's interested, um, all right, moving on another head coaching change. Uh, want to make sure we make note of this. Kara Mupo, just got named the head coach at George Mason University in Fairfax, Virginia. She was a former assistant at Stony Brook and William & Mary. Most recently, she served as offensive coordinator at Ohio State, and she had won two titles in 2011 and 2012 at Northwestern under Kelly Amante Hiller. Uh, coach Mubo is awesome. She's a great coach, knows her stuff. I think she's going to do a great job for Mason, and I'm excited to see that program being in Northern Virginia, like the heart of, of some of the best lacrosse in the country, I have a feeling she'll be able to do pretty well there. Uh, do you guys have any thoughts on, on the hiring? Yeah, I think, you know, that's definitely a way to obviously bring in more recruits um, with a head coach uh, uh, with that, you know, track record. It, it definitely, like you said, right in the heart heartland of Virginia um, I know that that Nova area is really heavy on their girls across and, you know, even up there in Maryland, you know, it's a, it's a nice close school for people to go. Yeah. It's like that perfect distance away, right? Like that hour, hour and a half where you can like uh, be far and away from mom and dad, but, but close enough that you can go home for the weekend if you need to. Exactly. Right. In that sweet spot. Yeah. I, I went 12 hours away. Not exactly the sweet spot. Um, <laughs> the, uh, in other news, moving back to the transfer portal, uh, you know, we have a question: Is did Duke just create a super team this year? Are they like the uh, are they like the Fab Five all over? Fab Five. I was thinking more Miami Heat or um, 
who was that guy on the Eagles who said they they had a super team? Um, I don't. But yeah, I, don't I mean, I feel like they they got all the best incoming guys. They got the number one attackman in the transfer portal, number one player in college lacrosse. They got the number one goalie, the St. Joe's kid, who's a stud. And they have Brendan O'Neill, who's going to be an 18-year-old grown man next year on campus. And I I think that's a super team. If there is a super team in college lacrosse, Duke's, Duke lacrosse is a super team. Well, and you're forgetting it. I'm pretty sure Dan O'Connell, the, look, the face-off guy from Holy Cross, also transferred into Duke. So they've added another face-off guy to to the repertoire, which is only going to make them better at the dot. They just improved it. If they you improve the dot and you improve in goal, I mean, and you add sours, like <laughs> it's, not, it's not a bad day. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, especially in the new shot clock era of college lacrosse, you know, basically have have smart possessions and score more than the other team. It's basically how I see it. And <laughs> with all the offensive firepower, I mean, you can't see it not mesh together. Brennan O'Neill just being a freshman. And knowing that Sowers is coming in isn't going to try to, you know, do too much. You know, he played at St. Anthony's and fit into his role there whenever, you know, that role may fit for him. From him being the finishing guy, the shooter on the outside, to you're the number one man. Uh, it'll be unfair and annoying to see if they just go straight ahead and win the national championship. Yeah. It'd be better to see someone take them down the national championship. But still, it's absolutely yeah. a super team. I'm so conflicted because I stand Michael Sowers so hard, but I hate Duke Cross. So it's gonna be it's gonna be tough next year. Uh I wish I had the Dennis Green like uh thing where he if you want to crown their ass, crown them. You know. <laughs> uh but I don't have it. So uh but anyways, you know, I think uh I think Duke's in good shape, but I I, I wouldn't go so as far as to say that they're so much ahead of everybody else. I mean, I think Notre Dame's added some pieces with Will York and Gallagher and uh, the other defenseman from Penn. I, I mean, they already have the goalie. They already have uh, other pieces around them, and they're more methodical than, say, Duke is. And, and they're both in the ACC. So I, I actually think Notre Dame-Duke will be a pretty legit matchup. Um, and, I, and I think the other teams, like I said before, about the Ivies and, and whatnot, those teams prepare for those losses. So I think they'll be okay. Um, yeah, and like it's not as easy as we make it out to be. Like I said, like these players don't just mesh together automatically. Guys have egos. You know, some think they're coming in to be the guy. Others have already been there, thinking they'll still be the guy. So you never know. You never know. Well, yeah, and I mean Brendan O'Neill, right? Like great player, but he's been a ball carrying player attackman for a long time, right? Mike Sowers, ball carrying attackman. Those how those. The, one of those guys has to be an off-ball guy most of the time now. And uh, they can handle I, that. Yeah. I, uh, predicting the future, it's, it's not going to be Michael Sowers playing off-ball. <laughs> shot, shot in the dark. He, uh, he's going to be the ball carrier for Duke next year. You know what I mean, though? Like, it, it, it all comes down to the, the coach's understanding of what players they're bringing in and why and how he communicates that to his players that are still with him. Right. It's a whole different ball game right now. It's literally like the the NBA offseason just happened for college lacrosse. Yeah, I mean I I think that if there's a guy that can put together some of the best players and be successful, it's Stanowski. Um, for sure. 
his approach, his son's approach, Caputo's approach, like they have that kind of energy about them. But at the same time, like it's going to have its challenges and, and we'll see. And, and I think there's other teams, like other players are going to emerge, you know, and we've said this before, like these, oh my gosh, how are they going to do it? You know, uh, TD Ireland to, to, to Yale, oh, they're going to win another natty. Well, they did make it to the final, the final game, but they still didn't win. You know, and so you, you never know. So other players will emerge and other people will step up. Um, but with that, we're going to take a quick break to listen to a message from our sponsor, Prospect Connect. If you haven't checked him out, make sure you uh, give this a listen and check him out as soon as you can. Prospect Connect is excited to announce the launch of Beacon, a completely free companion app for aspiring collegiate athletes. Beacon is the new standard for a student-athlete looking to be seen while competing on the road at a tournament, recruiting event, sports combine, or even at a local high school game. Once your Beacon is activated, college recruiters now know who you are. Using state-of-the-art geolocation technology, college coaches and recruiters physically nearby or even watching via live broadcast now have instant access to your up-to-date profile, athlete vitals, and contact information. Download Beacon for free today on your Apple or Android device. For more information, visit prospectconnect.com and be sure to follow at Prospect Connect on all social media channels. Don't forget, Prospect Connect is spelled Prospect C-N-N-C-T. Prospect Connect, athlete recruiting mobilized. That's right, fellas. Prospect Connect, geolocating, recruiting. It's going to be awesome. You know, how many of you guys think that there's going to be like Streaming and geolocating recruiting going in the future. In the, in the future, I really stumble on my words there. I'm all for that. I had an internship with ConnectLax, a, a company much like them, you know, building recruiting profiles, and it just makes things a lot easier. Wish I had it when I was in high school. <laughs> yeah, I wish I, I, I might. I might have got a call at least by somebody. You know. Yeah. Yeah. No, Danowski would have saw me. <laughs> Yeah, the super team. I'm not playing on, so it can't be that super. Um, I, where was my drums? I missed it. I had my chance. Uh, so let's move on to something uh, more exciting than talk about my lack of being good at lacrosse. Uh, we ESPNU played six national championship games over the weekend, and and John, I'll let you take this one because you talked about Maryland a, a bit on this, and uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like if you're a Maryland fan, you woke up to two heartbreaking losses and two games you probably wish you got back. Um, they started with the UNC-Maryland game, which I don't know why they started with this game in the morning. I felt like this is probably the most exciting championship game um, in the last few years, the overtime win by UNC. So Maryland fans wake up and they see – you know, a heartbreaking loss. They almost got their first national championship in 40 years and they lose an OT. Then they go back to back with Denver, Maryland. And uh, that game was never within reach. Maryland could never get anything going offensively. Um, and Westberg uh, showed up, uh, put three in the first quarter and kind of put the game away early for him. And with Trevor Baptiste on the dot, Maryland never just got any um, steamrolling. And I just feel like, you know, if you're if you're in Maryland, you're you're pretty upset why ESPNU is doing this to you on your World <laughs> Day weekend. You know, I, I, like why why us? Why couldn't they spread spread these games out? Put some filler in. It's just back to back Maryland losses. So I thought that was 
pretty brutal for them. But, you know, obviously they get their Ohio State-Maryland game later in the day. Um, so they get to see them win it. But, you know, it makes you think how close Maryland was to being a dynasty in college cross. And I don't, you know, think we've had a dynasty in college cross since Syracuse-Princeton in the 90s. Yeah. What's, uh, you know... Do you think – I had this theory back when Ohio State and Towson played on Saturday that the the winner of that game was destined to lose in the championship because they played such a tough physical style of lacrosse and they were so thin. Both teams were like – I swear, I thought they only played like 13 players that it, you know they weren't going to be able to make it to Monday. Do you think that if Maryland had to face Ohio State on Saturday, uh, Ohio State could have won that game? Could have. I mean, I think um, one of the games, it was the Duke-Notre Dame game. The commentators were talking about how um, light the rosters are, really. I mean, you look at these teams and you see 50 guys on the sideline, but realistically only at most 20. And I think even one of them said 17 guys played in the game, um, which is crazy. Uh, But... Yeah, that that definitely helps, and you know, I was we had uh, the Faceoff Academy out here, and uh, Jake Withers was on that um, Ohio State team, and I'll tell you, he is still very upset about that game. Uh, we were, we were talking about it a little bit, and he um, he definitely feels like Ohio State was robbed, and they on a better day could have beat them. Yeah, that, that, that definite argument for that whole like give them a week in between games or not make it so like back to back like, but uh, but regardless of that you know Maryland had a big W and you know that was what Maryland under Tillman that was probably their fourth or fifth Final Four so yeah they they were destined to win one soon enough yeah they were like the LeBron of the of the 2010s in in lacrosse yeah yeah sure uh. What you, uh, Mike? What do you think of that Notre Dame Duke game, the 2014 version? Oh man, I loved that game. I mean, this is really when I started to re- like my senior year was when I really started to dive in uh, to college across. So I was at 2013, um, and that was back to back years for Duke. But my highlight of that game was watching Sergio Perkovic just go off. Um, whenever he found himself at championship weekend, you know the guy just dug deep, and even if it got took to the fourth quarter to do it. He would just drop five goals, just down the alley, jump shot, pipe in, you know, next possession. They get it. Just steps up, shoots over his defender. Um, you know, it was a really cool. And I really uh, you know, looked up to him as a midfielder um, just because of how he could just take over, take over games like that. It was a really cool game to watch, even though they lost. Yeah. You know, I, I, Notre Dame, well, there's only one championship game that shows up on that list. Uh, they were, they had a run there, but they made Final Four weekend. I don't know, like probably three of six, three of six years, and two championship games in eleven and fourteen, and in the year that Denver Maryland. I mean, they nearly beat Denver in the semifinal game. It's probably the probably another. That's a Perkovic. Yeah, no, yeah. We're down like what four goals, and Perkovic scored like three, and like you know, 120 seconds or something like that. It was banana. Same alley. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Same high to high shot that he loves. <laughs> but, too fast. Uh, 
He's well, he's got a cannon. But yeah, that was a great game. You know, my favorite Notre Dame Duke game though was, had to be the the previous one, the 2010 championship. Oh yeah, where the OT Costabile. winner, poor Scotty Rogers. I watched that game again recently. It was replayed on on uh, the ACC network, and uh, such heartbreak. Notre Dame was was there. They had that game and just couldn't couldn't finish it off. So and they still never prevailed. You know, like Maryland at least got theirs. They still haven't got theirs. Yeah, I, I hope they get, I hope they get it for Corgan, and he's done a great job building that program. You know, and he brought him right there. It would be awesome to see him win a championship. Um, you know, what do you think of the? The Duke-Yale game compared to the Yale-Virginia game? I feel like, and I I never really believed in the whole fatigue thing, but when Yale had that battle with Penn State in 2019, they just didn't even seem like the, the high-caliber Yale team championship winning, you know, back-to-back championship. They were just, they just looked not, at the step that they usually are. And it was cool to see Virginia win, but I just think that Yale team, that Yale team was so, especially against Duke, it was so fun to watch them do it, man. Yeah, I was still upset with Virginia after that bogus goal they had. Um, <laughs> was that semis or quarters? It was quarters. That was, right? that was quarters, yeah. Cause yeah it kept, uh, and then they beat against Maryland. Yeah, so I was... Yeah. I was still upset. I was not happy with Virginia um, in 2019 because uh, I was—I just remember screaming at my TV, probably by myself. I don't think anyone was there. I mean, we're uh, Yale fans. We're Tevlin guys. Yeah, we're we're big. Me and my big Yale fans. We always support our uh, alumni. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like Mike was right with the fatigue. Um, it looked like Yale was playing in slow motion. Um, and Virginia had a lot of horses. I mean, they had uh, five or six guys on offense at any given time that could create, and that's that was tough for Yale to match up with, no matter how many faceoffs they win. Plus that that high that they've been riding because they pretty sure they came back from uh, like three or four goal deficit in every single game. Yeah, like prior in the tournament. Yeah, I mean, yeah De- Virginia was a team of destiny for sure. I mean, Duke was one clearing pass away from winning that game literally i mean they just had to make a little dink pass and you know like like always happens you know sometimes you get it sometimes you don't they didn't get it and you know virginia goes on to win it and the same with maryland game right like maryland was was in the lead and yeah that 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 no goal that was called a goal was bad call but at the end of the day like i i think virginia was still down even after that goal i think they were like they were still down one or two so like it was just, but they were just a team of destiny, I think. And uh, it was it was crazy to see. You know, what I did really enjoy seeing was the payoff for Lars Tiffany of bringing, uh, you know, Brown to the Final Four in 2016 uh, and then going to Virginia and basically rebuilding the same type of team um, and bringing them to the Final Four and, and winning a championship in 2019 was pretty cool. Um, you know, I, whether you're Yale guys or Virginia guys, not really matter, but it was cool to see that, um, happen. So, uh, what was your best game of this group? What was your, John, we know your game, UNC Maryland. Uh, UNC Maryland. That's oh, it. man. That's I was going to pick that too. Yeah. That was, not, I that mean, was I don't real know. magic in the air. That was like yeah. the team of destiny. <laughs> 
started off like 0 and 5 or something, 1 and 5, lost to Hofstra earlier in the season. They were just not having it. I'm going to I'm going to take a different uh page. I'm going to go with the Duke Yale game. Uh I thought it was great. Even though it seemed like Duke never had a chance. Um like everyone wrote him off before Justin Gutterding played out of his mind and was you know Duke was right there that whole way and I thought Yale was the best team in the country by a long shot. So um I love the the fight that that that, that game had. Yeah. Um, yeah, well especially because Yale that was their first national championship game. Yeah, 100%. I mean again, payoff for Andy Shea and and all the Yale guys who put in all that work, right? Like they built a culture that is now being emulated a lot of other places. I mean, it's bananas what they do. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever heard the story, but I guess uh, one of the the recruits who's a freshman had was coming in. And he had texted Ben Reeves because um, I guess they text in what they're what they're eating or something like that. Like it's, it sounds like it's a pretty tightly run ship. <laughs> and uh, so he texts in this picture of his food, and he he he's telling the story. He's like, ah, oh, yeah, I thought it was healthy. It was like you know, I don't know whatever, a burger and some vegetables or something like that and ben reeves writes back and he's like that's not what we eat here he's like holy <laughs> smokes uh you guys have put in some work to get there it was cool so Pretty sure they drink olive oil yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i don't know what they do they're all just little muscle hamsters at yale yeah but dude that's changing conditioning coach. freshman year he got back from his freshman year i was i saw him at the state championship game uh, non-public A, you know, gave him a nice dap and hug. And I was like, ooh, jeez. <laughs> this guy beefed up. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they're not messing around there. That is for sure. Like a football program. Uh, so speaking of uh, championship weekend, we all picked uh, one of our favorite uh, individual performances. The PLL twi- tweeted out who had the best individual performance on championship weekend. And we all picked... Uh, a guy that we thought was really great. Uh, we'll start with uh, with Mike, actually. Um, All right, cool. Yeah, I uh, like I said, I was a big fan of that UNC 2016 team, and that is the team that Chris Cloutier was on and had, I think, 11 goals championship weekend and the more. game winner. He, he had 13? 14, 14. He had nine in the semis and five in the championship game. Get your facts right, kid. Um, he <laughs> and th- like I said, in that early season, UNC was not there, barely even ranked. Probably got unranked at one point, and miraculously made the tournament. And this kid was just automatic. You just get the ball on his stick. That's what it was like. It was like just get it, get it to his stick. Even on that OT goal, uh, it's just move it, move it, move it. Wait for him to get a little bit of space, and zing, give it to Cloutier. He's just going to score. Heartbreaking for sure for Maryland. Um, And I, at that point I was kind of rooting for Maryland just for how many times they'd been there and championship weekend alone. But when you see someone playing like that, you know, for us lacrosse fans, we really strive to see that next level play. They all, we all want to see. And that was it for me. Um, He was only a sophomore. It was just really cool. Yeah, that was a that was a heck of a game. I mean, I thought I thought UNC might go on a run there and, and get a, a couple of of championships under Cloutier, um, but they just didn't quite have the same horses the next couple of years. But uh, yeah, it was a pretty cool game and and a heck of a finish. You know the you know the best player that didn't win that weekend, <laughs> Burnlore. Yeah, dude. Was yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> that save. 
The save yeah. on Tenny. Oh man, that guy is just—he's. Uh, I, I think he's—he might be the best goalie in the in the world right now. Um, yeah, I mean, he got his championship with his pro team. He did. He did. Um, so I'll I'll take a chance. Speaking of goalies, you know, I'll I'll go here. You know, my pick for the best individual performance on championship weekend goes to Tillman Johnson. Uh, led the Cavs in 2003 to their uh, third national championship. Uh, he was a goalie for them. It paired up with uh, Rotelli and Shannon at the midfield and uh, and Matt Ward as well. Uh, also another stud. And they beat Hopkins 9-7 in that game. You know, you guys were just wee pups at that time, probably still running around in diapers. Uh, you know, but I was – I had gray hair, I think, by then already. So – you know, Hopkins scored 19 goals in the semis, 14 in the quarters, and 14 in the first rounds. Against Virginia, they scored seven. Tillman Johnson on the weekend only gave up 11 total goals. And, and lo- can you tell everyone who was on that Hopkins squad? Uh, I didn't look that up, but oh, that's Ky- like that's like Kyle Harrison. Um, I'm sure. Uh, was, it, was it sophomore year for Kyle Harrison? I think he yeah. was a sophomore year. I think it was a, that class of like um, – it was Kyle Harrison's class, and there was a couple other really good players in that class. I, I have to look it up. Now I'm, Now you got me. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was a great team. And until when Johnson stepped up, and, you know, Virginia did what they needed to do. They scored just enough. But uh, I just thought he was a great, great weekend. And, you know, he's like this guy that no one ever talks about. And it's like, gosh, without him – I don't know if they would have won that championship that year. So, but that opens the door right there for you, John. A little segue, yeah. another Cav on this. Uh, another list. Cav, uh, 2006, Matt Ward. Uh, I felt like I was scrolling through this. I, I saw this, um, the tweet go out, and, you know, obviously Chris Cloutier, I think Mike nailed it, um, was getting a lot of love and, Deservingly, I mean, he set the record for most tournament goals, most goals on championship weekend, ended up winning it. Um, another guy, Lugsby from uh, Loyola, was brought up, um, and that was another deserving one. And the, my guy, um, Matt Ward, I didn't see any anyone talking about him. And, you know, I felt like the people forget about this guy. Uh, I mean, 2006 Virginia Cavs, um, set the record 17 and 0. I think they're the last undefeated champ we've had. Um, and this guy was just automatic in the tournament. I mean, he he had the record uh, for 16 goals in the tournament before it was broken, but this guy was just playing on another level. And this was one of the first championship weekends I was able to, you know, watch and see every single game and. Uh, I don't know. I just felt like he wasn't getting the love he deserved. And uh, I thought Matt Ward played a real smooth game uh, and was a smooth criminal out there. And I'm going to shout him out. I thought he had one of the best individual performances on championship weekend. He's probably pumped about that shout out. So you referenced Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Matt Ward was a stud, man. I, I remember watching his, him play. He was a lot of fun. You know, uh, some really throwbacks for you. Some some guys who really stepped up, had some great weekends. You know, I remember Jesse Hubbard in the 90s uh, was one of the best. And uh, his counterpart, who was always dumping him the ball, was John Hess. 
And I remember watching John Hess and trying to emulate him as a kid. And uh, the dude didn't cradle. He's carried the ball. And as an attack man, you're like, oh, my God. I tried that like for 10 seconds. It's like, I can't do that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, uh, well, that, that's about all we have for today. You guys have anything else you want to tell the people about? I think I, I had my daily dose of shout outs, so I'm good. I uh, I guess I'll just end with, you know, that uh, there's still there's still events out there that are scheduled to happen. The light at the end of the tunnel for us lacrosse players. You know, just keep your ears out. Look for those opportunities. Keep playing, like I always say. And uh, your favorite recurring guest signing off. <laughs> Thanks, fellas. Appreciate it. And for all you guys listening, make sure that you take time to like and review and subscribe to the pod. You can follow us on social media at 101 underscore LAX on Instagram and at 101 Lacrosse on Twitter and Facebook. Until next time, see ya.